and I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas Eve. Hope you're enjoying. Glad to be here with you this morning, getting ready for the rest of this weekend. I also want to say hello to the kids in the room. We have kids in the room. Raise your hand if you're a kid in this room. Yes. Welcome. Glad that you are here this morning. You're very welcome, as Jason said. We are here celebrating Christmas, of course, Christmas Eve, and we're going to do that in the minutes that I have, looking at the very opening chapters of the New Testament, or not really both chapters, but the opening words in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, which begins, as you might expect, with the birth of Jesus, pretty important material that we're celebrating here this morning, the long-awaited birth of the Jewish Messiah, that's who Jesus is, for a thousand plus years, those of us who know the Old Testament, there's been an anticipation and a waiting and a hoping and a longing. And this moment is finally here. And naturally, the New Testament opens with it. Matthew chapter 1, which we're not going to look at this morning, is really just a setup. If you read it, kind of a little genealogy. And the very last line of Matthew chapter 1, this is how little press, you might say, the actual birth gets, at least in the opening book of the New Testament. She gave birth to a son, speaking of Mary, she, and he gave him the name, speaking of Joseph, Jesus. That's it. That's the entire record, you might say, of the actual birth of Jesus. And then in chapter 2, we get the first introduction to the actual, the first time we see Jesus, who is already a child, and it's the story, the account, perhaps familiar to many of us, of the wise men or the magi coming to Jesus. That's our passage for this morning. Have a copy of the Bible, Matthew chapter 2, in a message, Christmas Eve message titled, Making Room for Joy. Making Room for Joy. Follow along as I read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 8. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, quote, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, unquote. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. In other words, how old is the child Jesus? He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So here's my question, the few minutes I have. This is the opening not only the opening of the book of Matthew, but really the opening of the New Testament. This is the first story. This is the introduction, right, that everyone's got, who's ever read the, the scriptures, in, at least in, in, in a straightforward manner, the New Testament. This is the introduction you get of Jesus, the, little, the child Jesus, these wise men, these men from the east, okay, who come and meet Jesus. We'll see 
them meeting him in just a second. Why is this the first introduction to the person of Jesus? You should ask yourself that question. I should ask myself that question. Here's why, I think, or one of the most important reasons, the purpose of why this is the introduction. We're learning through the wise men meeting Jesus that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus is for everyone. Okay? Jesus is for everyone. Now, over-familiarity, I think, for all of us, whatever our backstory is, over-familiarity in this story has kept us from seeing what's really here, right? I mean, whether you're a churchgoer or not, whether you've been to church a lot, you've been to Christmas services, maybe you're just here because it's the Christmas holiday, whatever the case may be, all of us are pretty familiar with this episode. Because you don't even need to be a churchgoer, you don't need to be a Bible reader, right? The, the, the idea of the wise men or the magi being a part of, let's say, the, 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 the manger scene, the Christmas story, it's ubiquitous. We know it. Every town in America still in the 21st century, for the most part, is going to have manger scenes. And in those manger scenes, or most of them, there's going to be some wise men there. So we know this story. They're a part of this story. But the people living in the story, right, if you were actually a member of this original account, or even the people reading this document, which could have been decades later for the very first time, for them, these people in the story of the birth of Jesus would have been very unusual and very unexpected. Why do you say that, Rob? Magi from the east, okay, every word's important. What does it mean, the east? Well, for the mo- we, we know this. It's very likely, when we talk, ma- what is magi or magi? What are they? They're Persian, very likely Persian priests. Persia is Iran, or we might even think of Babylon. And Babylon, those of us who know our Old Testament, if you know what led up to the beginning of the New Testament, the people of Israel, the people waiting for the Messiah, the Jewish people, right here, all of this anticipation. You know, as, as the Burgos just read, you know, the, the angels say, listen, the, final, the, waited, the long-awaited Messiah is here. For a thousand years, the Jewish people were waiting for them. And here comes the Messiah And the people from the east, these Persian priests from the east, not Jewish priests, Persian priests, are the first to come and bring him gifts. Why is that a surprise? Not only were they not Jewish, not only did they not have any orientation to the Old Testament, but for most of the Old Testament, especially the last books leading up to the book of Matthew, the Jewish people were in exile in the east. These were their enemies. These were their oppressors. These were the people that put shackles on them, that took them out of Jerusalem and replanted them in Babylon. So these were not the kinds of people you would expect to be at Jesus' birthday party. They were, they were priests of a unique kind. You might say they specialized, these magi, in astrology, what we would call astrology, and the interpretation of dreams. That's what they did. Why are they following a star? Now, let me say a few quick words about, to put these in context. We, we have words like astronomy and astrology. Just go with me for a minute, okay? What is astronomy? 
The word nomos, these are Greek words uh, transliterated into English, is in the word astronomy, and the word nomos means laws. And all the word astronomy means, let's pretend this is it. Those lights really are, are, are dark sky and a, and a dark night like tonight. And all the bodies in the heavens, whether those are stars or planets, the study of the laws of those bodies, astronomy, is what that science is. So people that are very smart, smarter than me, smarter than a lot of us, they study the movements of the bodies in the sky. It's called astronomy. It's a legitimate science. Maybe there's a few astronomers in the room today. Then there's another science called astrology. Astrology, the center, the word in the heart of that is logos, which means word, and it means message. And what astrology is, is not so much the movements of the bodies in the heavens, but what are the meanings of the movements? Well, this one moved in this direction. This one moved in that direction. What does it mean? They're following a star to follow to try to find the Christ child. In the old, now today in the world that we live in, the very sophisticated 21st century, these disciplines are separated. But in the days of Jesus, these disciplines were combined. Astrology and astronomy. And the men from the east, the magi from the east, the Persian priests from the east, were skilled at deciphering the message and the meaning of the stars. That's why they were called wise men. That's how they enter this story, don't they? They're following a star. Do you, ever, do you find any Jewish person doing that in the Old Testament? No. Okay, that would have been considered idolatry. But that's what they were doing. So far, so good. But here's the interesting part of the story. In ancient Israel, okay, this is a Jewish religion. Jesus was Jewish. Of course, we know that. In ancient Israel, they would have been considered idolaters. In fact, in both your Old Testament and in the book of Acts in your New Testament, when this word, when this characterization appeared, translated, translated magi here, or sorcerer, or, or people who worship the stars, it's always condemned. Every single place in the Old Testament, and there's something except here. It's seen in a, in, a, in, a, in a positive sense, in the sense of that they're at the birth of Jesus. One thing is crystal clear about this story. These magi were not Jewish. They had no orientation to the Old Testament scriptures. And for them now to be the people, according to the first pages of the New Testament, to be the first people, at least according to the record, there's things that happen that we don't have a record of, but the first people who are sitting down and getting an audience with the child Jesus, with the promised Messiah, for the first people to be opening up their chest, to be bringing out their gifts, to be honoring the Messiah, to be these people, and to not be Jewish people would have been a shock and would have been a shame. Okay? Why? So you ask yourself the question, Holy Spirit, God, why would you create the scriptures and bring forth the long-awaited Messiah and open up? Even if this was a story, why put it here, right? There's a lot of stories that aren't in the Bible that have happened. Why open the story and show that the first people to welcome the Messiah were not from the 12 tribes of Israel. They were Persian priests from the east. 
Well, when you read the whole gospel, we're not doing that today, but when you look at the whole thing, it makes perfect sense. It's like a bookend. Because where the gospel ends is where it begins. Where does it end? It ends when Jesus, now the man Christ Jesus, the fully grown man Jesus, who died on a cross and rose from the dead, is standing on a mountain. In other words, this is what it's all about. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus, of course. But the birth of Jesus was God's entrance into the world. Ultimately, you've heard this statement, he was born to die. And he died. That was the whole point. He came into the world to be a sacrifice for our sin. And when he rose from the dead, a miracle, okay, he's standing here. This is how this, is how this book, Matthew, ends, the book end. He's standing there with this little humble church made up of his disciples, and he says, listen, now that I've accomplished what I've come to accomplish, let me tell you what this is all about. I want you to take the message of the forgiveness of sin, and where do I want you to go? To the towns of Judea? No, I want you to go to the farthest corners of the world i want you to go to the east and the west and the north and the south i want you to cover the globe and take the message of the gospel to every person in the world that's where i want you to go why wise men the first to see jesus because jesus is for everyone when i was first in the ministry got out of seminary in the 90s had my first job at a church and it was a church a lot like browncroft Great church uh, in, in the just north of the city, kind of a, a, a relatively affluent neighborhood. It was a great church. I was grateful to be a part of it. But when I first came on, I, when I got an office, I got a job, when I was working at this church as a, as a minister, the, um, the church had just moved, maybe just a couple miles uh, from one part of town to the other. And once you moved there, I mean, on Sunday, the church was the same. The con- it wasn't even that far. The congregation didn't, we didn't get a new congregation. We just moved a couple miles north. But the church was now on a major thoroughfare, okay? It bought a series of buildings on this thoroughfare. Those of you who know Dallas, I-75, the major north-south uh, uh, road or, or, or highway that goes through the city. And because of that, any given Sunday, it didn't look any different, except the building was different. But Monday through Friday, we had all kinds of people visiting the church because we were on a major highway. Sometimes there were people passing through town. Sometimes there might have been addicts looking for help. Sometimes they were homeless people. And we welcomed it. And as I first became in my first little office, I too was a part of the people welcoming people. And I'll still remember one of the very first, you know, Rob, someone's here to see you. Okay? My job. And knock on the door, and my, uh, some, someone opens the door, and in walks this guy who was, all I remember, he was huge. I mean, this guy looked like a, like a linebacker for a football team. And his clothes were all tight, and he was just t- very big guy. But as I got closer to him, went to shake his hand, and look at his face, it was as if he had lived three lifetimes in his face. And before we even sat down, he looked me in his face. Before he even said his name, I said, hello, how can I help you? He said, um, uh, he said I have AIDS. Will you pray for me? I forget that. I have AIDS. As serious as you could be, will you pray for me? And we sat down, and before I could even pray, he grabbed my hand very, very tightly. Then he prayed. 
and he, he said it in, um, this is a much cleaned up version of what, he, uh, of what he actually said, but he said something like, God, I'm in deep trouble, help me. That was the whole prayer. God, I'm in deep trouble, help me. And then when he got done, I kind of snapped too, and I prayed for a minute as best I could, and I prayed in Jesus' name, amen. We stood up, I gave him a hug, he walked out the door, I never saw him again. But I've never forgotten that story in my first weeks of ministry because it was as if God was saying to me, Rob, you're glad you're here. Congratulations on your seminary uh, graduation. This is a wonderful church, but I want you to know from this point forward, I came for everybody. Everybody. That's why the wise men are here. That's really why this story is here. To you and me, there are these handsome guys with hats on with gifts, okay? But in the story of the first century, they were the arch enemies of Israel. And they were following a star which was not the Old Testament, okay? God used this strange thing called astrology to do what he wanted to do. But ultimately, the point of the message is this. God is for everybody and I would say this to you I don't know anybody everyone in the sitting in this room I don't know what your backstory is maybe you've been in church for a very long time maybe you came with a friend because it's Christmas Eve I want you to know this whatever your backstory whatever you did last year well listen whatever you did last night it doesn't make any difference in a manner of speaking God is for everybody Jesus is for everybody he's for you that's what the Christmas story is about number two in this great story one, Jesus is for everyone. Two, everyone needs a revelation. What do I mean by a revelation? I mean a word from God. I mean that God really speaks to you, to your heart, to my heart. Now, although the Magi or the wise men were disliked by Jewish people okay, because of who they were, they were stargazers. They were idolaters. They were part of the people who oppressed Israel in their history. Much of the rest of the world respected who they were. You might say that the wise men were the university professors. They were the, uh, you know, they were the sages. They were the poets. They were, you could say in a manner of speaking, the kinds of people that non-religious people went to for answers. Not everyone's looking to God for an answer for the life's big questions. And in this day, just like in our own, these were the kind of people. That's why we call them wise men. They, 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 they didn't know the God of the scriptures. They didn't have an, or a religious orientation. But they knew the wisdom of this world. Okay? They knew the natural phenomenon. They, knew the great, they, they tried to answer the big questions of the world without and orientation to God, and they were the people that non-religious people went to for answers, right? For life's big questions. But it turns out in this story that in their desire to want to find the Christ child, that was there how they started this story, right? They came to Jerusalem, and they say to Herod, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We don't know why they're looking for Jesus, but they perhaps have read parts of the Old Testament. Somehow God has spoken to them. They're on a journey to want to find the Jewish Messiah. Somehow they know that this is the time for the Jewish Messiah to be born. They're wise men, but they, the star, here's my point, 
can only take them so far. The star takes them to Jerusalem, but only the scriptures can take them to Bethlehem, right? The, what, is the, what is Herod saying? By the way, Herod's half Jewish. He should know better. And he says, listen, you know, uh, uh, sounds good, guys. I don't know the answer. Let me go get the Bible people and see what they have to say. And he asks the priests, verse 2, and they say, listen, you need to go to Bethlehem in Judea. That's where. And then they take him to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, to the Old Testament scriptures and say, listen, but you, Bethlehem, the small little town of Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Saying, listen, you're on the right track, but now you need a word from God. You need a revelation. And if you want to find the Messiah, at least if you're a Bible believer, according to our text, you need to go to Bethlehem. And they decide to go, right? The star will only take you so far. The natural world will convict us of our need, will awaken our longings, but only the revealed word of God can lead them, can lead you, can lead me to the final destination. But here's what's interesting about this story. There's, there's sort of an irony here too. There's a, there's a message. Most people on Christmas Eve, if you're like uh, me, most of us here, not all of us, we're, we're church-going people. You probably have a copy of this, right? So we're church-going people. But here, here's, the, here's the, the, the interesting message. Herod not only was ruler over all of Judea, he was also half-Jewish. I think Herod knew a thing or two about the Old Testament. And certainly, the people who he consulted in verse 4, when he called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, when he said to them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Well, they knew the answer to that. There was no time lapse. They said, listen, Micah 5, 2, they could have went other places. They said, we know it's in Bethlehem. But here's the interesting thing, at least how this story lays out. The timing's all lined up. They answer the question, but the only people that make the journey to Bethlehem are the wise men. Herod says, listen, when you find something out, come back and let me know. And as far as we know, the religious leaders didn't even bother to get on an animal or get on whatever and go the six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to find out for themselves whether or not their promised Messiah was born. Okay? That ought to say something. When God, think of, you know how John's version opens the, um, each, each of the gospel has their own kind of gospel um, Christmas stories and John's, the gospel writer John's, is the most highly unique to the other three. There's no little manger story. It's this high, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and, and Jesus is spoken of in these sort of metaphysical terms. He's just the word of God and he's, he's an action of creation. But then it says this, it boils it down. It says, and the word became flesh, that is he became a human being and dwelt among them. It says, and he came unto his own which means the Jewish people. That's where he started, right, in Jerusalem. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. 
Isn't that something? That's what, just how John, he came unto his own. So why are the wise men here? Well, if you put all these, 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 these gospels together, there's the impression that he did reveal himself to Israel. But you know what they said? Uh, no, thanks. You know, we, 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 we know that he's born in Bethlehem, but we're busy right now. He came unto his own, but his own, the people who knew the scripture said, um, it's okay, you go to Bethlehem. But to as many, here's the back to the wise men, to as many as received him. You can read into this, doesn't matter the your backstory doesn't matter what religion you grew up in, doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, doesn't matter what town you're from, doesn't matter if you're from the east, west, north, or south, to as many as received him. Anyone who had a genuine interest to respond to the word of God, to them he gave power to become the sons and daughters of God. That's what Christmas is about, okay? So when God speaks to you, whether it's through reading the Bible, maybe it's a sermon like this one, maybe it even it's in a dream. God uh, can do how, whatever he wants to do. You need to act on it if you want it to change your life. And that's as true for the Christian as the person new to faith. So number one, this story tells us Jesus is for everyone. That's the beauty of Christmas. Jesus is for everyone. Anyone that has ears to hear, eyes to see, who has an open heart to the gospel message. Number two, you need a revelation. We all need a revelation, right? It's one thing to hear the word on a piece of paper. It's another thing to respond to it in faith. That's what the wise men did that no one else in this passage did. And lastly, what you see these these wise men model for us, to know Jesus is to know true joy. Watch how this passage ends, verse nine. After they heard this, okay, the words from the scholars, right? After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped to the place where the child was. When they saw the star, now I think they're overwhelmed not by the star because they've been following it for months, but followed the fact that the star has stopped. Then they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, a child. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, By who? Has to be God, right? Being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Listen, for these dignitaries, best word I can think of, to bow down to a child would have been highly unusual and remarkable, as it would be today. Think about it. They're not coming up to Herod which, you know, everyone's going to bow down to Herod because he's so powerful and he'll kill you. You know, they said, you you know, uh, 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 they, they come to this child. Jesus is a couple years old, but when they come to this child, they bow down and worship him. Okay? Now, why did they do that? I believe they did that because if you read this story as we did straightly, 
they were ready from the beginning. Okay? I don't know where you are or I am this morning. They were ready. When this whole journey started, by the time they met Herod, they had been probably on the road for months. Okay? There's no, uh, there's no, high, there's no airplanes in the first century. Okay? They went from Babylon or Persia all the way to Jerusalem. It took them months to get there. But the reason they were there is they were looking for the birth of the Jewish Messiah. That's what they said. When, where is he that will be born king of the Jews? Their hearts were already ready. And then when they got more specific information and said, listen, you're on the right track. You're very close. In fact, you're only six miles away. The prophecy says he's to be born in Bethlehem. They say, thank you. They reload up their water jars and off they go the six miles and they see Jesus. And by the time they get there, here's what I think. In this moment, I believe these men if their man had a real joy because they realized something. I'm sure under the, you know, God certainly was with them the whole way. God is helping open their mind and their hearts. No question, they wouldn't have followed the star in the first place. This is what they see. God is solving humanity's problem. God is sending his deliverer. That's what Messiah means. But he didn't send them an ideology. He didn't send them a rule book. He sent them his son, right? And what do we know about Jesus? If you read the whole gospel, as I say, this all goes together. Jesus did two things. And I don't know that they would have known all this, but somehow it appears that they understood some of this. He did two things. That God sent a human being or sent his son in the form of a human being. He lived a perfect life. He's only a couple years old here, but he sent his son for the purpose of living a perfect life. He was tempted in all ways, like we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived until he was 30-something years old, and he never sinned. He lived a perfect life. Why? For you. This is the gospel, and for me. And number two, as he would say at the end of this gospel... He died as a sacrifice for human sin. And I think in some way, these wise men, God opened their understanding, and as they're looking at this little child, they're saying, this is God's answer. God didn't send a rule book. God didn't send a grand idea. God didn't send some kind of puzzle. He sent his son in the form of a human being who would live the life that you or I could never live, perfect, and would die in our place for our sin. In chapter 1, when, they were inter- when, they're, when they're saying, what does the name Jesus mean? Just a few verses before we started, it says, they shall call his name Jesus. For What does that mean? Yeshua. He will save his people from their sins. That's who he is. And I think when you, when you know that, you know you have, when you have that, you have everything because you have the true source of joy, the forgiveness of your sin. So I want to invite you as we close this service today. If you would say, you know, uh, uh, Rob, thank you for that, uh, uh, those words on Matthew chapter 2. I've heard the story of the wise men before, but I don't know that I've ever fully understood the gift 
that God has given in Jesus. Why he came. Jesus didn't come to show us to be an example for us, although he was that. He came to live the life no person could live, no matter how good they are. They fall short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And he came to die, not for his sins because he was sinless, but for yours and for mine. And I finally, if, if you finally say, I've come to understand the true meaning of the Christmas story, the true meaning of why God sent his son into the world, but I've never received him. I've never opened myself to the gift. Everyone in this story could have the gift. Herod could have had it. The religious leaders could have had it, but they didn't bother to take the six-mile journey to go see the child for themselves. But if God is opening your eyes this morning, all you need to do is receive it. As I said in John 1, to as many as received him. No qualification. doesn't say to as many Jews or as many Gentiles or as many, you know, tall people or short people or Americans. Or it does, to as many as received him. To them he gave power to become the sons and daughters of the living God. That's all it takes is humility. Amen? So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I just want to, if you're a Christian here, just be praying for your friends or our friends in this room. But if you've never before this Christmas Eve morning said, you know, I've, I've never opened my heart truly to receive the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ himself who died and rose for me. Um, and I'd like to receive that gift today by faith. I want you just to raise your hand in this room. I can see it. No one else is looking. Just throw your hand up very quick. Thank you. I see it. And you just throw up your hand. Put it down. Anyone. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Just up and down. Up and down. I see your hands. Thank you. And just pray these, this prayer in your own heart, um, your own words between you and God. A prayer. This prayer one very very close to this prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending your son into this world both to live for me, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for this gift and I receive, Lord, your gift into my life the forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus has done for me. Thank you, God, for this wonderful gift. And Lord, I pray that you would not only answer this prayer, you would hear these words, you would hear these prayers, that you would send your promised Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of each of these friends who has opened their life their lives to you today. God bless us. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.